You know, broadly speaking, I would say that suffering and pain falls into two very broad categories or spheres, and there's some overlap of these two spheres. You know, one is kind of what I would call pain and suffering out there in the world. You know, there's things like earthquakes, uh, there's hurricanes, there are floods, there are things like that, natural disasters, buildings that collapse, there are mass shootings that happen. There are things that are kind of out there that we read about in the news that aren't necessarily right in front of us. But then there's also the things that really are right in front of us, when the pain becomes very real in our own lives, when we get cancer, when a child gets cancer, when we discover that we can't have children, or when we have a marriage that's absolutely a disaster. It started as a dream and it's ending as a nightmare. You know, when we raise our kids and we thought they would go this direction, but they end up in a direction that we didn't foresee or want for them, and they can't see the place that they, that they are at is so difficult and so hurtful for them. You know, we get in a point in our season of life where life is just miserable. You know, maybe, maybe it's a job that put us there. Maybe it's a sickness that put us there. Maybe it's a relationship that put us there. Maybe it's an addiction that put us there. But we feel that pain personally in our lives. And then what we do is we pray. Right? God is supposed to answer our prayers, and so we pray, God, fix this situation. God, heal this person. God, and, and we, we, we lift these prayers up to God, and we think, man, these are really good prayers. Like, if I were God, I would answer this prayer, but God doesn't answer these prayers. And so we're left questioning God, if we're honest with ourselves. We go, well, God, I prayed, and I prayed this prayer, which sure seems like a good prayer, but you didn't answer. So does that mean that you're not loving? You don't really care? Or does that mean that you're not strong enough? You're not powerful enough to answer this prayer? And so we ask those questions. We say, which is it, God? You know, I've been in full-time ministry for over 25 years, and I have had the privilege of seeing a lot of people come to faith in Jesus Christ. But in those 25 years, I've also sadly walked, watched a number of people walk away from their faith. And as I look at why people walk away from their faith, this one is definitely in the top three, if not maybe number one. Because what happens is, is that people have this, this image of God, this, this view of God, this really dis, it's a distorted view of God in a sense. They say, God is like this, and the God that's like this is the God that wants to make everything in my life the way it should be. And we have this view of God of, I prayed this, and therefore God will answer my prayer, but then he doesn't. Because we think that God is out there just to arrange life the way that we think that life should be arranged. God will do what I want him to do. And then when he doesn't, we get disappointed. We say, well, God must not be loving. God must not be powerful enough. And so we walk away from God. And maybe you find yourself there this morning. Or maybe you know somebody that's there this morning. They're like, I just, I'm not sure... Maybe I'll give up on God. So I want us to answer two questions this morning. And here's the two questions. I'm going to give them to us up front. What causes suffering and how do we respond to suffering? 
What causes suffering and how do we respond to suffering? So we're going to talk about that first question first, is what causes suffering? And I'm going to turn to a whole bunch of verses in the Bible, probably almost a dozen of them. So if you want to follow along, that's great. If you just want to read them on the screen behind me, that's fine as well. The first one we're going to look at is Romans chapter 3, verse 10. It says this, As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks God. All have turned aside, together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. We're going to see that the root and problem of evil in our world is sin. And here's the first one. It's the sin of others. The sin of others. You know, a lot of the sin that we see in the world is because of other people's sin. You know, we talk about mass shootings. That's because of one person's sin. We look at um, things like drunk drivers and somebody getting hit by a drunk driver. That's the sin of a person that has a ripple effect. Greed in our world has a ripple effect, and it causes difficulties. You know, we would even look at something like world hunger, and we'd say, well, God, why don't you fix that? Well, the fact is, that is a sin of man. There's plenty of food. There's plenty of money to feed the people all over the world, but man is greedy. It's the sin of others. But we also look at our own lives, and we talk about a lot of the pain in our own lives is often because of the sin of other people. Other people wrong us. Other people slander us. Other people make assumptions that are false about us or accusations that are false or they mistreat us. Or a lot of the pain in our lives is caused by just emotional difficulty that is because of somebody else and their sin. And so that affects us. So as we're looking for what is the cause, why do we suffer, that's one of them. It's other people's sin. But there's another reason, and it's also in this same verse, and I want to read just part of it again to you. Verse 10 says, No one is righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks God. No one is righteous. That includes the person that you look at in the mirror every morning. That none of us is righteous. None of us does good as we should do. And so one of the, the second cause of sin or origin of sin is the sin of myself. That sometimes that's why we have pain is because we are sinful. You know, we talked last week about God lays out boundaries for us. He says, this is how you're supposed to live. Life inside of here is abundant life. Life outside of the boundaries that I have established is not the way that life is supposed to be lived. But when we step outside of God's laws, his commands, his commandments, when we step outside of what God says, then what happens is we often bring pain upon ourselves came across an interesting passage this week. Um, and so I've read the Bible like my, you know, for the last 30 years, I've read this passage before, and I've never noticed this passage. And maybe you've read it, but there's a story where Jesus is talking about a couple of natural disasters or, disaster, or problems, suffering that's happened. One about Pilate killing some people, who's a Roman governor, and another about a building collapsing and 18 people are killed. And I'm like, I have never noticed this. I've just read over it every time. So I want to read it to you. This is in Luke chapter uh, 13. And listen to this. It says, There were some present at that very time 
who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their own sacrifices. So there's people they are telling Jesus about the, the Galileans who were killed by Pilate. It says, and he answered them, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or those 18 of whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them, do you think they were worse offenders than all others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will likewise perish. So he's, he's saying, he's saying, look, they're, they're bringing up these examples. Saying, well, what did the people do who died in that tower that collapsed? Did they sin in some way? And Jesus says, no, they didn't. That was just what happened. That's the brokenness of the world. But watch out for yourselves, otherwise you will perish. So he's saying that that was not the cause of the people being killed by Pilate. That was not the cause of the building falling down. However, watch your life because when we sin, when we get outside of where God wants us to be, that will cause increased pain and suffering in our lives. And you know, sometimes when we talk about the sin in our own lives, sometimes the pain and the suffering from that is immediate. Like we can see the results right away. You know, if you, you get drunk, you fall down a flight of stairs, you go, well, I fell down the stairs, I'm in pain because I got drunk and fell down a set of stairs, right? Or maybe something is a little bit longer, you know, you do whatever it is and there's ripple effects later in life. But when we're in pain, it is how, especially emotional, relational pain, it's very helpful to look in the mirror and say, am I part of the cause of this? You know, if I'm here and there's a brick wall here and I'm banging my head against the brick wall, I'm just smashing my head against the brick wall, should I go, the brick wall, it's your fault, you're, you're so hard. That wouldn't make any sense, right? Nor would it go, God, why did you put this brick wall here that I might bang my head against it, right? We need to look and go, I'm the cause of the problem. And part of the time, part of the reason that we suffer and we have pain is because of us. Here's the third cause of sin. It's the sin of a broken world, the sin of a broken world. I want to take us back to the book of Genesis, the Garden of Eden. So there was a time when there was no sin in the world. Adam and Eve were living in the garden, and there was a, a tree that God said, you can do whatever you want in the garden, but do not eat of this tree. But they ate of the tree. And because of that, there was consequences Right? And we can read about those in Genesis 3, but there's consequences to Eve with pain and childbirth. There's consequences to Adam, but there's also consequences to the world. If you look in Genesis chapter 3, verse 17, it says this. It said, Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. It says the ground, the earth, the world that we live in is cursed because of the sin of Adam and Eve. Book of Romans says this. It says, The creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. So it's talking about, and this in Romans it's saying, in the future God will set all things right. But as we look in the past, it says, The world is corrupt. The world is cursed. 
And so we can look at a lot of what happens in this world that causes pain and suffering and say, it's because of the fall. It's because not only did mankind fall, but the world itself fell apart at that point as well. And so you can look at things like cancer. You can look at things like rainstorms that cause flooding. You can look at hurricanes. You can look at all these things that are out there and we say, that's kind of just the way life is. It's because we live in this broken world, a world that is tainted by sin. All pain and suffering comes back to sin. Now, you may ask yourself a question, well, why didn't God, if he was all-powerful, if he was all-loving, why didn't God just create a world where there was no sin? Well, he did. It was called the Garden of Eden. There was no sin there. Let me go, okay, let me, let me rephrase the question. Why didn't God create a world where there was no possibility of sin? You go, oh, that's a little bit better question. But here's the problem with a world that is created that has no possibility of sin. A world that has no possibility of sin also has no possibility of love. Because God created mankind. He created us. He created Adam and Eve with the ability to choose. And so they could choose to sin or they could choose to love. And you see, if you create a world where people don't have the ability to love, they don't have the ability to sin. If they don't have the ability to sin, they don't have the ability to love. You know, it'd be like if I said to my music stand, music stand in front of me, you are awesome, you stand so straight, do you love me? Right? Do you love me? And look, look at that. My music stand loves me. <laughs> I, I feel so loved by my music stand. Isn't that amazing? Just, it just loves me, right? Nobody here thinks that the music stand loves me, right? We all know that I taped that on there earlier in the week so that I would feel loved by my music stand, right? But we look at the world and we go, why don't you make it all perfect? And it's because God gave us the capacity to love and also the capacity to sin. So then this takes us to the next question. How do we respond to suffering? Because, you know, we look, at the, we look at the mass shootings. We look at cancer in a friend's life. We look at the loss of a child. We look at the abuse of a child. And we go, why, God? Why do you allow that? And sometimes it can be even confusing. Because we pray and God changes this situation or changes that situation. And then we pray and God doesn't act over here. And we go, God, why did you answer this prayer, but you didn't answer that prayer? It can be a little bit frustrating. And so we cry out to God and say, why, God? Why, God? And we're looking for answers. And sometimes the answers come and sometimes they don't. But I want to give us four or five things here about how do we respond to the suffering and the pain that we're in. One of the places that we see this is in the life of Job. And maybe you're familiar with the, the story of Job. But Job had all kinds of awful things happen to him. He suffered unbelievable. He suffered bankruptcy. He suffered physical affliction. He suffered the simultaneous death of all of his children. He suffered the emotional loss of support from his wife. 
And so the book of Job is these conversations between God and Job, these conversations between God and Satan, these conversations between Job and his friends, and his friends back to Job. And there's these series of conversations that go on. But in the midst of it, Job cries out to God and says, God, why are you doing this? Why are you allowing this? I think that's the same thing that we ask. God, why don't you answer this prayer? God, why did you let that mass shooting happen? God, why did you let that island get ruined by a hurricane? God, why did you? And we have these why questions, the same way that Job asked them. So this is God's answer. This is in Job chapter 38. And God says this to Job. He says, Who is it that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Were you there when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? And he goes on, and for four chapters, God asks Job all of these different questions. Did you make the sun rise? Do you make it rain? Do you not make it rain? Can you make lightning? Can you tell me why a horse is strong? And over and over, he asks all of these questions. And he's basically, he's saying, Job, you don't have the wisdom. Verse 2, it says, who is that that darkens counsel without were darkens counsel by words without knowledge. He's saying, Job, you don't understand what I understand. You don't have the knowledge that I have. You see, we say, God, why is there suffering? And we may want a specific answer. We want to like, tell me the answer. But part of God's answer, and honestly, it may not be that satisfying to you, but it is God's answer. He says, I know more than you do. I understand more than you do. I have an infinite knowledge that you don't understand. And so you may not understand this side of heaven, but I'm God, and I see how this whole thing fits together. It's a pretty heavy subject that we're talking about. I want to take just a brief respite, perhaps, and talk about the WVU marching band. Can we do that for a moment? And then we'll come back to this, and you'll see why. But uh, last Saturday, I went to the WVU football game. Here's a picture of the marching band. And uh, one of the things that they do is they form an outline of the state of West Virginia. If you've never seen it, it is so cool. And they take that state, and they march it down to one end of the field, and they march it back down to the other end of the field. And then the band changes around, and then it faces the other direction. And for the other side of the stands, they march it down, and they march it back. And it is just super cool to watch that and to hear them play that. But then I was thinking as I had this sermon in mind, as I'm watching this, I'm thinking and I'm looking at this trombone player, right? And he's messing with his trombone and he's trying not to hit people with him. He's you know, doing this thing and he's walking. And, and the band director has told him, whatever it is, says, okay, take 13 steps and then turn and then, on, and then take six steps and then a half a turn and then turn and don't hit the person with the trombone and come back. And if you were to just put yourself in the trombone player's head, he would go, what am I doing here? I'm just walking around, all around, and this is so difficult, and it's hot out here. And the trombone player wouldn't grasp what he was doing. He was just following the instructions that the, instructions that the band director gave him. But then, if the trombone player could take a step back and see this picture or see the video, 
he would see that he was a cog. He was part of this much bigger plan that the, that the bandmaster, the choreographer, whoever does that, was doing. And he could see that it marches down and it marches back. And I share that, and this is just a really infinitesimal view of God's picture. That we don't quite understand, why am I walking here? Why am I doing this? Why can't I get this? Why is this happening? But yet God looks down and says, no, no, no. I am orchestrating something beautiful. He says to Job, Job, where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Job, where were you when? And on and on he goes. And Job responds in this incredible humility. In verse 42, he says this. He says, therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which, it, which I did not know. He says, I agree. Here's what I want us to see, and this is the response, the first response to suffering, is I trust God's wisdom. I trust in God's wisdom. And perhaps you're here this morning struggling with something, or you know somebody's struggling with it, and you go, why, God? And God's response to you is, it's not for you to know. It is within God's wisdom. I love what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. It says, For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. It's this idea of looking in a mirror dimly, a dimly lit mirror. I can kind of make out what's going on, but not totally. But then in heaven, I'm going to see fully, and I'm going to understand fully what God's plan is and why what happened happened. Here's the second response. This comes from the book of Lamentations. Book of Lamentations. This is chapter 3, beginning in verse 19. It says this. Remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. My soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. So wormwood and gall are not typically words that we are using. The modern Matt Santon translation is the guy goes, my life sucks. That's just basically, my life sucks. That's what he's saying. Things suck. And then this is the response that he comes to. He says, my life sucks, but, but, this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. So that's our second response to suffering, is I put my hope in God. I put my hope in God. In that verse, it has the word this, right? It says this, and then it ends with, I have this hope. But it's like, well, what exactly is the hope? If we go down to verse 22, it says this. It says, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. This verse is packed with great stuff about why is it that we hope in God? You see, when we go through the suffering, when we go through the pain, we go through the difficulty in our lives, what God wants is for us to draw close to him, for us to draw near to him. And these are the reasons that we can do this. This is the reasons that we can put our hope in him. It says his mercies never come to an end says that he is faithful, and because he is faithful, we can go to him. 
And it says, and I love this, it says, the Lord is my portion, says my soul, therefore I will hope in him. It says, the Lord is my portion. When we put our hope in God, when we say God is my total portion, it means that we believe that he is all that we need. I don't need God and a child. I don't need God and good health. I don't need God and a great job. I don't need God and I don't. And we, whatever it is that you feel like you need, you put that in the blank. And what he's saying is saying, I just need God, my full portion. That's what it means to put our hope in God. The next response to suffering comes from the book of James, chapter 1. And it says this. This is James chapter 1, verse 2. It says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And you look at this and you go, how could you say, how could you write, consider it pure joy when you have trials of many kinds? Like, who would write that? What sadist person would write that? Have joy when you have trials. I'm in the midst of suffering. I'm in the midst of pain. But I want you to have joy. Why did he write that? You see, he wrote that because he had a concept and understanding of God that is perhaps different from ours. Because what we want from God is we want God to make our life easy. We want God to make our lives the way that, he, that we want it to go. But God has a different plan that God wants us to know him fully. God wants us to glorify our lives, to glorify him with our lives. God wants what it says at the end, to be perfect and complete and to lack nothing. That's what God wants for us. And part of the way that that happens is through suffering. Suffering brings us to that point where we fully glorify God with our lives. So here's the next response. The third one is, I look for God's purposes. I look for God's purposes. I love how C.S. Lewis puts this. It's a book that he wrote called The Problem of Pain. And he writes this. He says, God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our consciences, but shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world that God so often uses pain, uses trials, uses suffering to help conform us to the image that he wants for us to have. And so in, we look for what is God's purpose in the suffering that I'm going through. And it may be something in us, or it may be something that God is doing in the world out there. You know, two of the things that I probably suffered through most two years ago, my best friend James from high school lost his son Luke to cancer. Uh, that happened in September, early September, and we're kind of right between them right now in this year. And then uh, my great friend Chad Cobb lost his daughter Katie to cancer. And, and I look at that, I go, why God? But as I've talked and I've walked through it with both of those families, with James and Laura and with Chad and Sarah, both of them look at the pain and they go, God did something good out of this. And they hear stories and people say, your son, your daughter's response, and this is how I responded in faith. I was talking to James and he said, I, I love to see kids who meet Christ because Luke set up this fund to send kids to Young Life Camp. He said, I love to see that 
He said, but I, and he kind of threw tears. He said, but I'd give up all that to have my son Luke back. And, and so that's not to say that it's it better, but he looks at that and go, God has a purpose in that. Here's the fourth response to suffering is I let people walk with me. I let people walk with me. You know, when we go through pain, depending on how difficult it is, sometimes we just, I just want to keep people away. I want to keep people away. There's a great story in the book of Job, and I won't read it for you, but Job is in the middle of all the suffering that we talked about. And then his friends come with, to him, three of his friends, and they come and they sit with him for seven days in silence, just with him not counseling him, not doing anything other than just being with him. And that's a great picture that we need to let people come alongside of us. We don't need to walk through our pain all by ourselves, let people into it. But the other part of that is also for us, when people walk through difficult stuff, pain, suffering, trials, difficulties, storms, that we need to come and stand alongside them and love and care for them in the same way that Job's friends did. And here's the fifth response to suffering. I look at the cross of Jesus. I want you to imagine it's 9 a.m. on a Friday morning and they've just nailed Jesus to the cross. His hands and his feet are nailed to the cross and they take the cross and they hoist it up and they drop it in a hole and his joints come out. Earlier than that, they have whipped him. They have spit on him. They have pulled parts of his beard out. And so he's on the cross, and Jesus cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? God, where are you? And that's the same thing that we cry out. We go, God, where are you in this pain? Where are you in this suffering? And in the midst of our pain, we don't see where God is. In the midst of Jesus' pain, he felt abandoned by his heavenly Father. But here's the thing. With Jesus, it went from bad to worse. He cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And it wasn't as though all of a sudden he was rescued, that he then hung his head and, was die and died. And he was put in a tomb. But you see, we have the advantage of being kind of looking in hindsight, and we know how it turned out, that Jesus rose from the dead, and he conquered sin, and he conquered death. We know the rest of the story. And so this morning, if you find yourself in a place of pain, or tomorrow, or next week, or next year, when you find yourself just in that place of utter pain, remember the cross, because the cross was the darkest moment of human history, but in the moment of the cross, it brought forth eternal life and abundant life and the best part of human history, the resurrection of Christ. And the fact that our sins were covered by the death of Christ, but that we can have life in him. When you're suffering, remember the cross of Christ. Last week, we introduced a song to you called Bigger Than I Thought. I want to read you just a couple of the lyrics of this. It says this, When the silence steals my voice, you understand me. That's talking about God being our portion. In the valley of unknowns, you understand me. 
And then this is the cry of our heart. My doubts and fears don't scare you. You're bigger than I thought you were. And then he says this. I believe, help my unbelief. And that's the cry of our heart. God, I don't get this, but I believe in you and I believe that you can help me overcome my doubts and my fears and my pain and walk with me through it. So we're gonna sing this song together and then when we're finished, I'll come back and close us. What a sermon of truth. God is big regardless of what our view is. It's our view sometimes that makes him small, but he is not small. God is big. You can ask the blind man. You can ask the lame man. You can ask the leper. Ask Mary and Martha. Ask Lazarus, who he brought up from the grave. He brought from the dead. God is bigger. God is bigger than any problem, anything we face. Would you guys, would you stand with us as we sing and lift up his name that he is bigger. He truly is a big God that we can call on and no matter what we go through in this life. He's so big.
Heavenly Father, God, you are bigger than we could ever imagine. Lord, our view of you is not big enough. God, increase our understanding of who you are as we come to you with our pain, with our suffering, with our trials, with our difficulties, and minister to our hearts. God, thank you for this morning. May we walk with you this week. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, if you'd like prayer this morning, myself and the prayer team will be down here in front. We'd love to pray with you about anything going on in your life. Thanks for being here. We'll see you next week.